Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Okay, so today, you know, something I've been thinking about the last few months and something that's come up recently too, Brandon mentioned this at um, the fall retreat briefly uh, during one of his messages, Sam, or I'm sorry, Seth mentioned this uh, briefly during the testimonies in between some of the testimonies last Sunday as well. And it's this idea that, that Jesus Christ, that God used 12 reputationless men to, to turn the world upside down with the gospel. Okay, you know, if you don't know, there were 12 original disciples following after Jesus Christ. Okay, and we can read about all of what that looked like, how that became, and what they did in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospel accounts. Um, And it's interesting, you know, they they had 12 guys that were, you know, a part of this little caravan, and then some women as well. But uh, amongst these 12 guys, um, there 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 was a wide array of personalities, right? 12 is a pretty good number. You get, you get a lot of different variation in, in peoples in, inside of a group of 12. Um, and because they were all different, uh, God would use them all differently throughout that time in their ministry uh, along Jesus' side on earth, and then after, he would leave us. Um, God used them all to accomplish the same thing differently. Um, does anybody know off the top of their heads which of the original 12 disciples is mentioned the most in the New Testament? So Paul is not one of the original 12, but he is mentioned more than Peter, who is one of the original 12, whoever said it. Um, so you're still right, man. You're still right. Um, yeah, it's Peter, okay? So Peter, let's talk about Peter for a second, okay? Peter, Peter comes up more than any of the other uh, disciples of the original 12 disciples in our, in our New Testaments. His name was actually Simon, Simon Peter, but there was another Simon amongst the 12, and that guy was a zealot. So I imagine Simon Peter was like, let's not make him mad. Let's just, let's just call me Peter, right? Um, so yeah, 156 times Peter's name is mentioned in the New Testament. So God used Peter in a very specific way because he had uh, a very specific type of, of personality. He was very active in Jesus' ministry. He said a lot. He did a lot. He was brought up a lot. He inserted himself into a lot of situations and conversations, questionably at that, right? Like, he's known as being that type of guy. I always, anytime there's a new guy in our Bible study, uh, I always introduce Peter as the guy. Funny enough, Sam used a very similar illustration today. But he's the guy in a room just like this, who's thinking, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, man, if somebody comes in this room right now, and even for a second, I sense that they are a threat I'm going to be the first guy up restraining them on the ground. I'll take their life if I have to. <laughs> and you know what? On Tuesday night, Sam will bring me up before the whole congregation. He'll recognize me as the hero I am, as the ideal church member. You know, like, like Peter, these types of thoughts, they escalate quickly, don't they? They become about being heroic, and then suddenly it's about self-absorption a little bit. And if we're being honest, there's probably like 12 guys in a room this size who have already had a very similar thought this morning. You know who you are. I I, I know a particular guy who told me he has this thought daily. Um, Anyway. Um, So anyway, Peter Peter had a hero complex. Um, Peter was like that. Guys can be like that. Now, it's interesting to me. That's a very specific type of person. There's, there's, There's 11 other disciples, though, right? 
And it's interesting because some of the other disciples' names come up as little as two, four, and six times throughout all of the New Testament. Okay, our boy Thaddeus. Thaddeus got two mentions, all right? Some of you guys are hearing Thaddeus' name for the first time right now as I'm saying it out loud. What was up with that? What was he doing? Was he on his phone the whole time? I don't know. Thaddeus, you know, was he less important because he was brought up twice, though? Like, that's the question. Like, did, did Jesus really need him as a disciple? Two, two mentions, you know? The answer, of course, is yes. Jesus wanted Thaddeus in the ministry. Um, he did. Jesus purposes to have every one of his followers do the work of his ministry, regardless of how many times their names are going to appear in history. Every follower of Jesus Christ has an opportunity to make an impact in Jesus' ministry, regardless of how small or big our personalities are, regardless of how confident or shy we may be, regardless of whether or not we're more like Peter or more like Thaddeus. You know, God can and will use you as you are to reach people that only you could be used to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people cannot respond to a guy like Peter, you know, but some people can respond to a guy like Thaddeus. So today we're going to be looking at one of the 12 disciples, none of which we've talked about so far. Um, but I believe the one we're going to talk about is a really good example of this very idea that God will use individuals as his followers exactly how he knows that they can be used as long as they're ready and willing to be used. Okay? So we're going to pray and then we'll uh, get into it. God, thank you for today, Lord. Um, God, thank you for your word. Um, God, it is, it is our, our ultimate source of strength in this life. Uh, in a world that can be chaotic and uh, confusing. God, it's, it's steady and true. Um, God, we want to hear your words today. We want to be changed by them. God, we're grateful for the examples that you've given us throughout your word. God, it's humbling to see the testimonies of, of the people that you've used throughout history. Um, and God, I pray today that, that we would be humbled. We'd be humbled by, um, by uh, the way you used men, and, and by the way, men followed you. So uh, move me aside now. Uh, take away my nerves. We just want to hear from your word and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So Andrew is who we're going to be talking about today, okay? Andrew uh, was one of the 12 disciples, and he's going to be our main example this morning. We're going to be using his example to gain a better understanding of how disciples of Jesus Christ should operate. And by operate... Um, I mean how they should go about doing the work of Jesus Christ, because that's what we don't want to know how to do, you know, correctly. Okay, so um, I don't want to just assume in a room this size, though, that everybody is completely familiar with what a disciple of Jesus Christ is, so we're going to briefly define what, what that is, okay? So um, first and foremost, a disciple of Jesus Christ is a minister of the gospel, Okay. And, um, you know, if you look up that word minister in your Bibles, it's going to take you to this verse in Exodus, and you'll see that it, um, it's being used to describe this guy named Joshua, okay? And uh, Joshua is named as being the minister to Moses, all right? And then if you look up the definition of the word minister, what you're going to see is that it means to assist. He's an assistant of sorts, or a, he's serving of sorts. So Moses was being assisted by Joshua, so when I say that a disciple of Jesus Christ is a minister of the gospel, well, what, what do we do? Like, what are we doing when we're assisting something? 
or when we're serving something. We're moving the agenda of that thing forward. We're, we're being used to assist in whatever that thing is. So that thing for a disciple is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, disciples of Jesus Christ are doers of the gospel work, okay? And in doing so, they become active in living out their faith. So a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who is active in living out their faith, okay? And then, and then above all else, what a disciple of Jesus Christ is, is they are students of Jesus Christ. To be a disciple is to be a student, okay? And what do students do? They, uh, they, they learn stuff, they observe stuff, and then they do the stuff that they learned and observed. Okay, so a disciple of Jesus Christ is a learner of Jesus' words. They are observers of his actions, and then they become foot soldiers in his mission. Okay? After they've learned and observed, they, they put their boots on the ground, they start callousing their hands with the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and all of these things were true in Andrew's life. And that's seen very clearly throughout the times that he gets brought up throughout scripture. All right? So we're gonna take a look at some, a few different mentions of, of Andrew throughout scripture and we're gonna see what we can get from it. So to start off, Andrew was a fisherman by trade. All right? So Matthew uh, chapter four, verses 18 and Mark chapter one, verses 16 tell us this. Matthew four eighteen says, and Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Mark 1.16 says something very similar and ends again with, with these words, for they were fishers. So along with being a fisherman, as we are made aware of in these two verses, we are also made aware of something else about Andrew. He was the brother to Simon Peter. Okay, Peter, that guy who we talked about earlier, um, who, who, who again is brought up 156 times in our New Testament. Andrew's name, on the other hand, is mentioned 12 times throughout all of the New Testament, okay? So that's a pretty drastic difference, right? You know, talk about maybe having, a, you know, the, the notion of living in your brother's shadow a little bit. Um, it goes without saying, though, that as you read on past the four Gospels, especially as you get into the book of Acts, that, that Peter uh, had a huge impact in establishing the early church, there's no way of getting around it. After Christ finished his ministry on earth, Peter would sort of start to put his money where his mouth is and he would become a leader to the other disciples. He just would be. And again, his personality like enabled him to do that, I think. And Jesus, Jesus knew that all along, didn't he? Um, now, it's also needless to say that, that Andrew's role in establishing the church wasn't as obviously impactful. It wasn't. Um, he, it, it's like what he did is not as well known as all the things that his brother Peter did. He was quieter. He was less rambunctious. He had to have been, right? We don't read about Andrew cutting off a Roman soldier's ear in the middle of the night before Jesus is going to be crucified, right? That's Peter's thing. That's Peter's thing. Peter didn't consider the fact that you need ears to hear the gospel, did he? Um, but he chopped that soldier's ear right off. And again, you know, we're talking about real people here, Okay. So don't miss that. These are, these are real people that were alive and, and moving about the earth, doing things at a different time in history. So like, we, we don't want to overlook that as, as we see people do things throughout these stories in the Bible, like the character of these people, their personalities are showing through in their actions. So it can be said that Andrew's personality, man, it was just a bit more tamed than his brother Peter's personality was, right? 
What we do know about Andrew, though, helps us identify some character qualities, some really important things um, that, that are seen of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And you know, guys, regardless of how many times he was mentioned throughout Scripture or what he was like in comparison to his brother, the, the truth is that as far as his disciples go, Jesus Christ doesn't care what we're like in comparison to each other all that much, you know? I think Sophie Miles said it during her testimony the other day, like... Oh, Sophie Best. <laughs> Braden. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> See, Braden is like a zealot type character, so I don't want to make him mad. Um, my apologies. Your, your testimony was awesome, Sophie. Um, anyways, Jesus Christ doesn't care about that. We care about that. That's our concern. That's why we are always doing it comparing ourselves to each other, trying to imitate one another, you know? And instead of just serving alongside each other, knowing that, you know, that God can use each of our unique personalities differently, we all get caught up comparing and imitating, comparing and imitating. What a waste it would be if any of us decided that we just needed to start being like the most like popularly, like popular guy or girl in the room or whatever, you know? It's like we're adults. We're adults, guys. We don't need to be comparing ourselves to each other. We don't. As far as our personalities go, it's actually our uniqueness as individuals that God is interested in for the sake of his mission. Andrew was unique as an individual. He was not busy trying to imitate his brother. In his 12 mentions, you never see him trying to be like Peter. You know, He could have been that guy, but he wasn't. He was focused on the ways that God could use him. One thing that made Andrew unique was how he desired so greatly to spend time with men who were noticeably holy, who looked different from the rest of the world, and who were following after Jesus Christ even before Jesus Christ had become fully engaged in his ministry on earth. We see in the Gospel of John that uh, Andrew was a disciple to John the Baptist before he was ever a disciple to Jesus Christ. He was following John the Baptist around. John chapter 1, verse 40 uh, says this, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. John the Baptist was this guy, okay? And that's, who this, that, that's the John this verse is talking about, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was this guy that had a reputation for being strange, okay? Partially because he looked homeless. He lived in the wilderness. I think by definition, he was in fact homeless. Um, he wore strange clothes. He wouldn't cut his hair. He ate locusts. Insects were on the menu for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know. It was hard to be a follower of John the Baptist. Um, but even with that being the case, he was an active spiritual authority on earth during that time. And he was a stark contrast to what religious authority on earth looked like at that time as well. And he had a message that he was communicating. And it too was different from what would have been being preached in the synagogues by the Pharisees, you know, about whatever uh, topic from, you know, the... the the Old Testament laws that they were focused on that week. Like, John the Baptist had a proposition in his message, and, and, and the proposition was this. It was, make straight the way of the Lord. That's what he was communicating. Make straight the way of the Lord. He wanted people to engage in preparing the way for the coming Messiah. He wasn't talking about a physical preparation. He wasn't trying to get people to build a road for the Messiah to walk on. He was talking about a spiritual preparation, a preparation in the hearts and the minds of the people. Andrew did not question the message that John the Baptist was presenting. Rather, he followed after him and desired to learn of what he was teaching, 
Which brings us to this really, really important thing about Andrew's character, guys. Andrew was teachable. He was teachable. He was able to be taught. So much so that at the moment that John the Baptist would announce to his disciples as he saw Jesus Christ. Okay, we read this in John chapter 1, verse 36. John the Baptist sees Jesus Christ walking. And, and here's what it reads. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He's literally like, guys, that's him. That's the guy that we've been preparing the way for this entire time. In that moment, Andrew would obediently begin to follow after Jesus Christ. And then he would go on to spend a day with him for the very first time. You know? Because Andrew was teachable and obedient to his current leader, Andrew knew what he should be doing next. He didn't have to question, what's the next thing for me? He was, he was obedient to his current leader, so he could be obedient to his next one, you know? Going forward, Andrew would make it a point to follow after Jesus Christ, which takes me to my, uh, my very first key point here. Okay, a disciple of Jesus Christ must be ready and willing to follow and be taught by godly men and women. Disciples have to be obedient and teachable. They have to be, you know, which actually requires this thing that Sam talked about in first service called humility, right? You have to be humble if you're going to be taught. You, like, it's pretty hard to be prideful and teachable at the same time, right? I don't, I don't know anybody who's ever successfully been doing both those things at the same time because we have to set what we think we know aside, we have to lay down what we hope being taught will be like and how it's going to make us feel. And we have to be humble. At the second that we hear an uncomfortable thing about how we're living in the midst of being taught, we can't, we can't you know, become, take the offense or whatever it may be or take the defense. I mean, either way, right? We have to be neutral. We have to be teachable. We have to approach God's word and the people that God has placed in our lives from a place of humility. So we have to ask ourselves the question, and the question is this, are you teachable? Are you teachable? Or are you prone to argue? Do you pride yourself on how you are known as being disagreeable, you know? Do you think you know better than the authoritative words that God has given us to lead and direct our lives? Man, we got to learn how to obey authority. We really do. Um, we got to learn from Andrew. Andrew knew who and how to follow because he was teachable. All right, so, so Andrew gets the opportunity. We're going to keep moving along now. Andrew gets the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ, as we just read about. And guys, if you're not, go ahead and just flip to John 1. We're going to be there for a minute. Um, and as we continue to read about his actions and decisions uh, going forward after that moment, what we find out uh, is, that, is that he goes on to do what any good disciple does after they meet Jesus Christ. He goes and tells someone about it, right? He evangelizes. <clears throat> uh, that's Andrew's immediate reaction, is evangelism. We see it in, uh, in the passage in John chapter 1, verses 38 through 42, but specifically we see it in verses 41 and 42, if you guys want to look there, if you're following along. So, after following Jesus for a day and accepting Jesus' invitation to come and see where he dwelt, because Jesus invites Andrew to come and see where, he, where he's like, 
what his personal life looks like. In verse 39, he, he invites Andrew to do that. So, so Andrew accepts. He gets to go and see into the personal life of the Messiah he's been preparing the way for all that time. And he spends that time with him, and then, and then Andrew immediately goes and finds his brother. And to Peter, he proclaims out loud without shame or consideration for how it might sound. With all the excitement in this moment, in verse 41, he says, we have found the Messiah. He's talking to Peter, his brother, about Jesus Christ. And he didn't stop at simply claiming this amazing news to his brother. He took the extra step. And what we read is that he brought him to Jesus. Right? He shares his faith and then he brings him to Jesus. So what happens in this passage is such an amazing thing. Because of Andrew's desire and willingness to share Jesus Christ with somebody that he cared for, his brother. Peter, as we know, um, and as we've already talked about, would go on to be used greatly in establishing so much of the Lord's work from there on. Right? We know that because we have the words of God in full. So we know what happens in this half or in this, this section of the book, like the way that Peter gets used after this moment. You know, and it took a little bit of time. We had to soften out some edges on him, but, but man, um, but we know that. Um, Andrew couldn't have known this. Andrew didn't know how Jesus was going to use his brother, right? But we know it. And taking all of that in consider, into consideration, it can be said that like the decision to go evangelize to his brother, um, this is one of the most significant moments of evangelism throughout history, knowing the way that Peter was used by Christ. And this is something that we can't miss, guys. When, when we evangelize, when we share our faith, we never know how Jesus is going to use someone that we introduce to him. We never do. For, you know, any of you could leave this room today, go out into Midtown, be on the streets, and, and share with somebody how it is that you found the Messiah. And like, th- you know, th- two to three years from now, that person could be leading a Bible study in this fellowship, leading people to the Lord, right? Five, ten, ten years from now, they could, they could be a, a living faith church planner. Like, we don't know. We don't know. But, but because we don't know, we should, we should. We should share our faith for that reason, knowing that, man, God can use anybody he wants to do anything. We should share what it is that we have found in Jesus. We should now, um, this wouldn't be the only time that we see Andrew introduce someone to Jesus either, okay? We're going to look at two more, two more uh, moments like this. Uh, in John chapter 6, verses 8 through 12, okay, we read about Jesus and his disciples at the feeding of the 5,000, all right? So I think a lot of people are familiar with the story. Alex Allen uh, shared a message uh, about this passage like three weeks ago or something, or a month ago maybe. So if you want all the details, you should go back and listen to it. Um, but just to share what, what's going on here briefly is that Jesus has this, this vast multitude of people that want to be around him at this time. They want to see him preach and teach, and they want to be in his presence. And as it turns out, when you're, when you're following the Lord around and doing all of these things, like, you know, you get hungry and tired. So these people were hungry and tired. Um, and Jesus, knowing the state of his flock, wants them to be nourished. He wants them to be fed and provided for, just as he does for each and every one of us, right? So we see that. Um, and um, this scene then starts out with, with Jesus posing this question to his disciples based off that notion. Uh, and this, this isn't on the slide, but in John chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus says, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? 
So he's asking the question, hey, how are we gonna get food to feed 5,000 people? So the, so the disciples begin to brainstorm. Uh, and, and mixed in with that brainstorm, uh, brainstorming is a lot of, of doubt, right? Doubting amongst themselves uh, that they would be able to feed a crowd of people with the resources they had. See, the thing is they didn't really have very much, uh, very many resources. They were nomads, you know? They were, they were, they were just getting by for themselves. They were like, man, Jesus, how the heck are we supposed to feed 5,000 people? Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've got resources, right? Like I, personally, I've got some resources. That if I have people over to my house and I can see that they're hungry or tired, I can say, you know, hey, go get it. Help yourself to something in, in the fridge or in the, in, the, in the cabinet. Like you can eat food, whatever. But I have never been in a position where I have had the resources that would be able to satisfy 5,000 people. So, you know, from, from my own perspective, like the doubt that these disciples were experiencing, it's pretty reasonable from a humanistic perspective, right? Um, but then we go on to read in John chapter six, verses eight and nine, we read this. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, can't forget to include that detail, right? saith unto him, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So Andrew has this potential solution and it required that he introduce a young boy to Jesus Christ, right, personally. So he does that. He tells the guys, he says, hey, guys, Jesus, there's a kid here, he's got a, he's got a plate of food. Maybe this can help, right, you know? Um, and we actually find out from John's gospel exclusively that it's from this boy that Jesus receives the food that he then uses to multiply and feed the 5,000. You know, along with that in verse nine, we see that Andrew himself doubts that this is even a good suggestion to make to bring before Jesus. Um, and, he, and we know that because he, after he suggests it, he says this, he says, what are they among so many? He's, he's saying like, it's like when we give a friend advice and then we're worried that, the advice sucks. So we're like, ah, but I don't know, man. You know, that's, that's the fail safe. But what we see here is that Andrew doesn't let his doubts in his own understanding of how far physical resources are capable of going. He doesn't let that stop him from bringing that young boy before Jesus Christ to meet him. He simply introduces someone to the creator of all resources and then gets out of the way. And then God does what only God can do, right? So again, in this passage, we see someone that Andrew introduced to Jesus be used mightily for the furthering of Jesus's ministry. Andrew was a minister. He was a doer of the gospel work. He wasn't leaning on his own understanding in these situations. Can you imagine if in that moment, because again, guys, real moment in history, this is actually happening. Disciples are shuffling around, trying to figure out what to do. Could you imagine if Andrew would have been like this to the little boy? Like the little boy comes up, he's like, food. And Andrew's like, a kid, kid. We are adults here. <laughs> Dealing with adult things, I am not about to take a plate with food for three people to my best friends and the creator of the universe and suggesting we use it to feed 5,000 people. I'm not gonna do that. Go back into the crowd. Blend in. God can't use what you have. God can't use you. And he can't use me right now. But, but man, how often do we have that response? You know? How often do we decide what it is God can and can't do? 
Andrew didn't do that. He didn't do that. That's not what happened. Even with his doubts, he knew and believed that God can actually use anyone and anything to accomplish whatever he pleases. It's in the weakness of men that God's strength is made perfect. You don't have to be perfect, Kaya, before you bring things before God. You don't have to perfect situations before you bring them to God. God can do the perfecting. You know, we can't be, we can't be afraid to let our weakness be seen. We can't. If it's seen, then man, God has an opportunity to, to show how strong and, and great he truly is. And Andrew knew that. Andrew knew that. Okay, there's one more mention in John that we're gonna look at. John chapter 12, okay? Verses uh, 20 through 22. But um, we see in this passage, in these verses, uh, right before these moments happen, or this moment takes place, is, is there's this huge fulfillment of prophecy. Okay, there's this big fulfillment of prophecy. Something that is known as Palm Sunday. And if, um, you know, we, if you guys are in a Kaya Bible study, we, we studied out the book of Mark, like all last year. And before the summer studies, you would have read Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And, and that's, that's like where you could get a pretty good picture of, of this moment, right? It's not as detailed in, in John. But just to break down what's happening there, um, to sum it up is this. Uh, in this moment, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, on the back of a colt, okay? And he's having his triumphant uh, entry into Jerusalem. He's being welcomed into the city as a king would be. Um, essentially, like a parade is taking place around him. Uh, people are crying out. They're saying, Hosanna in the highest. Um, and they're, they're adoring. They're adoring Jesus Christ as he enters um, into the city. And they're doing it publicly. Like, this is, a, this is such a significant moment, um, and what we see here is that people knew about Jesus Christ at this time. And maybe not everything about Jesus Christ was understood in this moment. Um, but for, for anyone in this crowd who didn't already fully believe that he was the Messiah, because certainly there were people that believed that, uh, other people were still curious and excited by his presence. Um, and that takes us to this group of men that we're going to read about right here, or this group of, of people. So John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22 says this. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. <clears throat> so this interesting call out here um, that we see is that this group of people, they were Greeks. Uh, so there were non-Jewish people seeking out ways to encounter and meet Jesus Christ as well. Okay, so we see that the group first approaches this other disciple um, whose name is Philip. And Philip was also an evangelist. Like Philip shared, shared the gospel with people, right? Um, and, and they made it known to Philip that they desired to see Jesus. So Philip, he takes some action here and he brings them to Andrew. And, you know, I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's because Philip, you know, Maybe it's because they were Greeks that it had something to do with it. I don't know. I mean, he, he, he shared the gospel with the eunuch too, but um, nonetheless, maybe he was just like, you know what? I, you know, me and Andrew, we're bros. Um, we're going to introduce these people to Jesus together. Um, and maybe he's seen how much Andrew doesn't care about the outside factors when it comes to introducing people to Jesus. But nonetheless, he gets, he gets Andrew and he's like, hey, man, we got a group of people. They want to meet Jesus. And Andrew's like, well, dude let's go introduce them to Jesus, you know? Like, and they do it. That's exactly 
what happens once they're with Andrew, they're then led to meet Jesus himself, a group of Gentiles, peoples of other nations, right? Peoples of other nations are led to Jesus by his disciples. And that's how it should be, you know? Like that's what disciples do. We see that it didn't matter that they were of a different culture and a different inheritance. It didn't matter that Andrew knew that Jesus's ministry was primarily focused on the nation of Israel during this time. None of that mattered. A group of people came before a disciple of Jesus Christ and made it known that they wanted to meet Jesus and the disciple didn't hesitate to make that happen. And Kaya, this is why we have so much to learn from Andrew. This is why. Andrew desired to introduce anyone and everyone to Jesus Christ. He's an awesome example for the modern day church age believer in how he lived out the mission with the heart attitude that we are all supposed to have right now. The heart attitude that says, I'm gonna share Jesus Christ with all nations of the world, with all types of people, regardless of interests and personalities and backgrounds. I'm gonna introduce anyone to Jesus Christ if I see an open door. Think about it. In, in these three mentions that we've seen, okay, it starts out, Andrew uh, shares his faith with his brother, Peter, right after he met Christ, which makes sense, you know. Many of us in this room, myself included, gave our lives to Jesus Christ and then immediately developed uh, a desire to go share Jesus Christ with, with our family and our friends, right? And Andrew um, experienced the same thing. I can think of several examples of seeing that immediate type of evangelism take place in that format. With when, as I just look across this room, like, yep. Uh, so many people are like, I'm gonna tell my family about Jesus Christ. And that's, that's good. That's better than good, it's fantastic. You know, like we should want to do that. Um, but sometimes it stops there, you know? And sometimes we shift gears to becoming comfortable Christians who don't really feel the need to evangelize anymore. We didn't see Andrew stop at sharing Jesus Christ with those who were closest to him. He went on to share and take people to meet Jesus Christ that he never would have associated with beforehand. I mean, kids and Gentiles, this was a unique type of ministering taking place at this time. And this is why God could use Andrew, you know? Because of this very thing, Andrew lost all prejudice when it came to introducing others to his God. And we need to lose all our prejudice also. Everyone needs to hear about the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes me to my second key point. A disciple of Jesus Christ must be ready and willing to introduce anyone to their God without hesitation. Guys, disciples, they have to be evangelistic at their core. And like evangelism can be complicated. And if, you're, if you know nothing about it, you should go to that evangelism summit on October 21st. You should do that. I'm sure that'll be a really awesome event. Um, but guys, evangelism, you know, in its simplest form is just people who've chosen to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, introducing that idea to somebody else. It's, it's taking someone and introducing them to their God. Um, but sometimes we complicate it. We complicate it so much that we prevent it from coming up in conversation. While at the same time, and this is the thing, we will very easily tell people how much we love anime. You know, that we're, that we're caught up on One Piece, right? <laughs> or that we used to be a flat earther. Or that we're in love with Harry Styles, you know? Like, we'll share that with people. You know who you are. <laughs> 
<laughs> or we think that there's a chance we've been abducted by aliens. Like, we'll say crazy things to people. I kid you not, the other day at Quick Trip, I'm talking to this, this I get to talking to this guy, and we're talking, and he's, what we're talking about is he's telling me that the night before we're talking, he was abducted by aliens. And I'm just like, no kidding. Like, to me, this is truly interesting. So I hear him out, and, and I'm this close after he shared all this with me to saying, well, what do you think about the theory of reptil- uh, shape-shifting reptilians leading our country? You know, I'm like, I'm this close to asking it. But I stopped myself and I said, I should just invite him to Bible study. So I said, hey, man, um, I lead a Bible study in South Kansas City. Like, I don't know if you're interested in that kind of thing, but I've enjoyed talking to you. If you want to come check it out, you should. And he goes, (laughs) and he walks away. And I was just like, hey, dude, I just listened to you tell me about how you were abducted by aliens. You got probed yesterday. Okay? I am not the weird one here. Like, you are. We say all of these things, but why, though, without, why, why though, don't we, without any fear, share our love for Jesus Christ? And share the simple piece of information that, oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, you know? Why don't we just say that? If there's an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with someone that doesn't know him, we cannot hesitate to take that opportunity. Guys, there's no room for prejudice amongst any of us, right? There's not. There's no room for prejudice amongst disciples of Jesus Christ. And also, we don't need to be be nervous about saying what it is we're truly interested in. We don't need to be. We're not about all those other things, right? We're not. Romans 1.16 tells us this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we have to ask ourselves another question, guys. Do you feel compelled to share the gospel? Do you? Or do you hide it away? Do you feel compelled to share the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ with people that are destined to spend an eternity in hell. Do you? A disciple does. A disciple does. They learn to look past their timidity and they share their faith. They learn to die to themselves and they speak up boldly because the word of God is, is strong and steady. And regardless of the reaction we get, man, Jesus Christ got that reaction first, you know? There's one last characteristic, Fandrew, that we're going to take a look at this morning, okay? Now, we've been in John all morning, but if you guys want to flip back to actually Mark chapter 1, again, for any of you who are following along. So the last characteristic we're going to look, look at here is, uh, is how faithful and available Andrew was when it came to following the Lord and carrying out the mission, okay? And it starts with his, one of the earliest interactions he had with Jesus. So again, both in Mark 4 and, uh, Ma- in Matthew 4 and in Mark 1, we see that Andrew was among the different disciples that had taken up the trade of being a fisherman, right? Again, both of those, those verses end with, for they were fishers, right? <clears throat> they were fishers. Now, if you carry on in Mark 1, and specifically if you look at verses 17 and 18, just right after, 
verse 16 right here, what you'll see is there's this conversation that takes place between Jesus and Andrew and Peter in this moment. And Jesus has this proposition, okay? He's got a proposition that he puts before these reputationless men in society. And something was required of them in that proposition. They had to forsake their nets, okay? Mark chapter one, verses 17 and 18 says this, and Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. As it's described here, we see Andrew and Peter, and if we kept reading on, we'd see James and John. They all answer the call. They all choose to answer this call. They would all forsake their nets, the objects that represented their identity as men on earth, the purposes of their old man, and they would choose to follow him, believing in this moment, that in time, Jesus would make them to become fishers of men. They answered the call to discipleship, to be made into fishers of men, not to immediately become fishers of men, but to enter into a process that through time, with hard work and patience and long suffering and messing up and repenting and through sadness and through happiness and, and confronting and conviction, and more repentance and wonder and laughter and joy and questioning and above all else, triumph in Jesus Christ. That they would in time become fearless ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and in turn, people whose forsaken nets could never possibly identify them again. But rather people that could only be identified as seekers of souls, as fishers of men. This was and is the process of the perfecting of the saints. You know, ministers of the gospel are made. They do not simply become. When Andrew and these men said yes to this call, they did not know what was before them, guys. And this is, this is something that we, we talked about in Bible study just the other day, you know. They didn't know what was before them. They entered into this process from a place of not having a complete understanding of what it was they were entering into. This is what faith and willingness looks like. This response required faith and willingness to be available for something outside the norm during that time in history, you know? And during this time in history today of which we all live, like this decision to say yes to the call will never look normal to the world. And it was the faith of all of these men that allowed that process to come to fruition, to become a reality at that very moment when they answered the call. They still weren't disciples of Jesus Christ, but that is what they would become. And guys, that process is something that we call biblical discipleship at MBT, you know? Um, and man, there are people in this room, you know, who, who have been on the fence about, about starting that process. And, and there, are, there are others in the room who, who have just like steadily been avoiding it for, for, for a long time. Um, and I want to encourage you to not let what you don't understand about being a Christian stop you from moving forward in faith. Your decision to stay where you are, it is prolonging your state of not knowing, right? It is. Don't halt yourself from growing spiritually because you're afraid of what you don't know. That's insecurity, that's self-reliance, and Satan will use that in your life to steer you away from ever becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
And if guys, I mean, like, if we're being real here, if that's truly how we lived our lives in every way, shape, and form, we accomplished nothing, right? If we were like, oh, I don't understand something, so I can't do it. It's like starting a new job, you know? When you start a new job, uh, you enter into it without a true understanding of what that job is. You might think, you know, you might have a vague idea uh, of what you imagine it to be, but, but, we actually, but we, what we actually become on the first day of work at a new job is we become students of the job that we are eventually going to be doing, right? That's how, that's how anything works. Before we can actually understand how to do the work, we gotta be learners and observers of it for a period of time. But if we went back to that day where we were offered the jobs that we all have, right? Let's pretend that we're back at that day and we just got done with our interview and the guy's like, hey, really great job. You did, uh, you did awesome in the interview. We'd love, we'd love to offer you the position and bring you on board. You can start as soon as, as, soon as possible. But we were like, well, I don't fully understand the job. So until I know what all it entails, I think I gotta say no. Maybe a few months from now, I'll be, I'll be in a different position and I'll know how to, you know, I'll understand what it is I don't understand right now, but yeah, but because I don't know what all the job entails, I gotta say no. Maybe a couple months. And nine out of 10 times, that person would be like, well, how do you plan on learning what the job entails if you don't plan on starting it? Like, unless you start it, you can't do that. <clears throat> and we'll say, oh, I don't know, I'm gonna watch a YouTube video. <laughs> I'm sure there's something out there. I don't know, I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing. And maybe I'll just get an understanding. And then sometimes we're like, hey, but, but, but do you, could, would it be possible for me to start collecting the benefits of that job without doing it? <laughs> Is that, could that be arranged? Guys, this is what Christians do to their Savior when he isn't also their Lord. We've got to realize that anyone, anyone can make the awesome, the incredible decision to give their lives to Christ and then at the same time run the risk of doing nothing for him for the rest of their lives. Avoiding the work, but collecting the benefits of your salvation and then focusing on yourself entirely, wasting the time God has given you just because you believed on God does not mean you are a follower of God. You have to follow to be a follower. You can't, be a, you can't stay put and say, I'm following that guy. He's getting, I can't, I just lost sight of him. He got too far away, right? That's not how it works. It's not how it works. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says this, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Kaya, the redemption of our souls which was purchased by the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ has enabled us. And in doing so, we have been counted faithful to be put into the ministry of the creator of all things, to engage in the work, to say yes to the call on our lives. You know, Jesus Christ, he came into the world to save sinners of whom we are the chiefs. He knows what we're like. He knows it'll take time for us to understand. He's not asking for us to understand fully right now. He's asking us to get to work as his students. That's what he's asking us to do. That's what he's asking Andrew to do and Peter to do. 
He's enlisted us as his soldiers of which use his words as our weapons to fight an enemy who wants us to sit stagnant in our misunderstanding of who our perfect God truly is so that when we get asked about our faith, we, can't, we don't have any answers. We're just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. And then to the world, you know, what do we look like? We just look like religious people that don't know what we believe. They're like, oh, okay, this, these people, they're Christians. Like, I'm a yogi. They go to church on Sunday. Like, I stretch a couple times a week, you know? Like, that's what we begin to look like. Andrew said yes to the call to get to work at being a student and engaged in the ministry because he was ready and willing. He wanted to come and see. And because of that, because of that, everything else he did in ministry was empowered with that same confidence that he had in Christ alone. That's what allowed him to move forward. My last key point is this. A disciple of Jesus Christ must be ready and willing to take steps forward in faith even when they don't fully understand everything they're being called to. Guys, there's not a single thing in life that until we've taken part in it that we'll be able to fully understand it. Nothing. You will never be able to avoid this thing. You have to start doing something if you're going to understand it. And when it comes to moving forward in faith, to moving forward in this thing that in the beginning can feel like a mystery, like nobody's denying that. Nobody's denying that it takes time to get understanding. When it comes to that, though, what we are supposed to do is lean on God's understanding. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lead not, lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And so my last question is this. Are you allowing God to direct your path? Or are you preventing that? When we don't fully understand something, but we say, yeah, I'm going to do it, we've got no choice but to rely on God for his direction. And if we do that, then praise the Lord. None of, none of the glory has to go to us. It can all be his. God gets every bit of glory of, of what ministry looks like in my life. Because, man, when I started moving forward in faith, I had no idea what I was doing. I'm just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm gonna, I want to know who my God truly is. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say yes to things until it starts to make sense. And guys, in time, it makes sense. God gives you the understanding that you don't have right now. And your confidence can be in him because of it. And to think that by Andrew's example, and in this case, the example of anybody, anybody, so many people in this room, who, who have answered the call to move forward in faith and become students of Jesus, it just started with the decision to say yes. And then in time, God helped you with that understanding part. And he does that through his word, through his spirit, and through his church. This is his methodology. This is how he works. If any of those are missing, you'll continue to be confused. This is how he works. Um... Okay, I'm gonna invite the worship team up. <clears throat> so, so in closing, guys, um, Andrew may have only been mentioned 12 times throughout all of scripture, just 12 times. But oh my gosh, isn't there a lot to learn from observing him? Isn't there? 
In those mentions, we see that he was humble, that he was faithful, that he was evangelistic. We see he was a brother, a friend, a teacher, a student, and a leader, you know? We see someone that sought out virtue and sanctification in his spiritual life. We see in his actions that he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. From Andrew, there's literally something that every single one of us can start applying to our own lives and our own ministry today. Like at the end of the day, these are practical things we can start doing. Um, and man, it's just because he was, he, was, he was ready and willing to engage in the work of someone who was awesome, right? Like it's not because Andrew was awesome that he's a good example. It's because, it's because the work that he was doing, that it was, it, was, it, was, it was directive given to him by somebody that was awesome. And that's the case for every single one of our leaders, you know? They're all awesome to follow because they're following someone that is awesome. It's not about any individual person. It's about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And man, if you have that mindset, you, man, how could you not start taking steps forward in faith? So Kaya, be teachable. Don't be prideful. Share the gospel. Do not preserve yourself before men. And move forward in faith to gain godly wisdom. Don't choose to sit stagnant in what it is you claim to not understand. All right? You, you know what we should be considering then. Consider those things. Consider those questions. Yeah, like there's a lot of people in this room who are involved in discipleship. And man, if there are th things you need to repent of right now, then come repent of them. We're gonna have counselors up here who, who wanna pray with you. And, if, and man, if there's things you gotta give praise for, maybe you heard these things and you're like, man, God has fixed that in my life drastically. Come up and give praise to God for how the process of discipleship has changed your life. Like, do that now. Take this time now to come forward and do that, okay? And if you're in this room right now and you do not know who Jesus Christ is, like you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you don't have a relationship with him, then, then I'll just say this, that, that Jesus Christ died for the sins of all mankind so that we could have the opportunity to enter into a right relationship with God the Father, the creator of all things. Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you could have the opportunity to have true purpose in your life past the monotony of the day-to-day, -day. right? There is, no, there is no process like discipleship in life outside of it. There is no satisfaction in things we can grab onto. There is no satisfaction in titles we can have. Like, it is only in Jesus Christ that true satisfaction can be found. And if you don't know who he is, if you have the slightest bit of curiosity about that, come forward now. It will it'll be the best decision you ever made in your entire life to just ask a question. Who is Jesus Christ? Okay? Um, okay, let's worship. today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.